0: You're listening to the Beyond Nurse Residency Podcast, an educational series where we interview experts on all topics related to the transition of new graduate nurses into practice and beyond. I'm your host, Nicole Weathers, Director of the Iowa Online Nurse Residency Program. Thanks for joining us. Let's jump in. So first impressions aren't just important. They are everything. And when I reflect on my first job as a nurse and my orientation, the thing that stands out to me the most almost 17 years later is my preceptor. I wish I could share that it was a delightful experience, that I love going to work every day. Unfortunately for me, and maybe many of you, That just wasn't the case. I was bounced around between several different preceptors, some of them kind and compassionate and clearly remembering what it was like to be new, learning things for the first time. And some of them had been on the unit longer than I had even been alive and had zero patience or desire to teach me the things that I needed to know. It's crazy to think one single person in your organization has the potential to make or break a new hire. But It's common in many organizations to give little thought to how we identify who will serve as a preceptor, what they need to know to fill this important job, and what we can do to support the relationship and make sure our new hires have the best experience possible. In this episode, we're talking all about the factors around supporting nurses and the role that preceptors specifically play in getting new hires off to a great start. My goal for this episode is that our listeners will walk away with concrete and actionable steps they can take to improve or establish a preceptor program in their organization. So today I have with me our special guest, Allison. So Allison, if you wouldn't mind giving us a brief introduction.
1: Yeah, thank you, Nicole. Um, My name is Allison. Um, I am a nursing professional development specialist. I currently work with new graduate nurses in the state of Iowa. It's funny, you were talking about your first experience in having many different preceptors. Um, My experience was actually the opposite of that, where I had one preceptor, but that person was the charge nurse. Um, So if you can imagine, she was often busy with other duties as the charge, and I felt often alone sometimes trying to figure out what I was going to do. But the thing that I learned during that experience was what were my resources, and that I should always ask for help.
0: Which is such an important thing for a new nurse to learn, right? Like, so at the end of the day, like, even if you feel like you're alone, hopefully you're not, there's somebody there that can help you figure things out. And, uh, you know, knowing what those resources are, are, I mean, that's a huge piece, right? Just knowing what is available in your organization,
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if that's the one thing that you can master during orientation, whether you're a brand new nurse or an experienced nurse, um, learning a new role or a new specialty, knowing your resources, knowing who you can talk to, who you can ask those questions to is really the best thing you can learn. It's almost that like learning to learn and embracing that culture of learning. A little bit about my background. I'm a cardiac nurse at heart and lifelong learner. I've been a nurse educator for over eight years now. I've been a preceptor since before I can remember. I probably was that new graduate nurse teaching new graduate nurses um, out on orientation. I have taught a couple of different preceptor classes throughout my career. And currently, I work with nurse residents. I also work with our educators and very closely with our preceptor program. Some super fun facts about me. Um, My family tries to visit one national park a year, one Red Sox game a year, and I love reading, and I'm currently training for my fifth half marathon. Oh, my goodness.
0: You're busy. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today and joining us in this conversation about, you know, preceptors and and all the things that go along with supporting new nurses. So, you know, I work really closely with nurse educators and leaders across the country to support their new grads. That's one of the things that we have in common, and I think one of the things that we um, sort of connected on initially. So, while my focus has always been on nurse residency programs, we know that transition to practice is influenced by many things. And one thing that's been identified as a major enabler of a positive experience for new grads is that relationship and experience with the preceptor. So let's start off by making sure all of our listeners are on the same page. So talk to us a little bit about what exactly a preceptor is in their role. So- just a caveat though before we get into that. I know some of you might be seeming like, oh my gosh, this is really basic. And and it is, but I have worked with different healthcare organizations across the country and I can tell you that there are many terms that are used interchangeably. So I just want to make sure we're defining from the very beginning what exactly it is that we're talking about.
1: Nicole, I would totally agree with that. I've worked at many different hospitals across the country, and even just the terms staff nurse versus clinical nurse versus nurse, um, it could be very varying what the terms are. So precepting is a style of orientation, a new hire. For the purposes of our conversation, I'm going to call this person an orientee. I've heard this call preceptee um, as well, but as we start to discuss when we discuss preceptor and preceptee, that can get confusing. So I'm going to use the terminology preceptor and orientee. So this new hire, your orientee, is hired to an area and paired with one person during their shift, and that person is designated their preceptor. Um, some preceptor-orientee relationships in nursing follow what we call a single preceptor model. This is where the nurse is paired, the orientee is paired with one preceptor for the entirety of their orientation. Now, we used to see this more frequently. That's what I had when I was a brand-new nurse. Um, You, however, Nicole, had a team preceptor approach. This approach is where you have multiple preceptors to one orientee.
0: I think it was like the hot potato approach. It was kind of like, who's available to take her today? Uh, I don't know if it was meant to be a team approach, but yes, I guess that's what you would call it.
1: Yeah, I think we see that a lot right now. Your preceptor is sick, so who's going to take this person today? Who's going to train them? Um, Now, ideally, we'd like to be a little bit more strategic, right, with our planning and who they're going to be with um, so that we're selecting the right people to teach them. But these are kind of the two things that we see. So in this model where you have a preceptor and an orientee, your new hire, Sally, is paired with an experienced nurse. Let's call her Jane. The two work together during the shift to care for one patient load. This is the important part because sometimes you see, um, and I've worked places where they start to give you a higher patient load because you're two people. And sometimes we see that towards the end of orientation. But for an ideal orientation model, what you're going to see is new hire Sally is paired with preceptor Jane. The two work together to share that one patient load. And Jane is going to coach and teach Sally into her new role. And they are one dyad working together.
0: Yes. And I think that is such a good point to bring up because you are very <laughs> right and that many times they will see that, oh, we have two nurses. And so they can take double the Traditional maybe patient load or the standard patient load for that unit. And just really advise people against doing that if at all possible, because the whole purpose is to give that preceptor time to coach and teach, as you said, that orientee on their role, right? And what they're supposed to be doing. And when we start adding extra patients onto their patient load, um, that just takes time away from teaching. And I think that's a surefire way to burn a preceptor out really quickly and not have a positive experience for that new grad.
1: Yeah. And I think the important thing to remember too, is that most of the time in these scenarios, the orientee isn't counted into the staffing matrix. So there's no real pull to build them up with more and more patients other than spreading the patient load, obviously. But we need to somewhat protect their patient load so that they can have that time to learn and grow. Uh, I have seen some organizations will even protect the preceptor and orientee in the beginning and give them lighter loads um, and lighter acuity. But I think in the current state, we're not seeing that as much. We're seeing more of this stretch and pull for our preceptors and orientees.
0: Absolutely. And yes, I think that ideally that's how you would do it is have a smaller patient loan in the beginning and sort of work your way up. But we do know that preceptors are hard to come by. Uh, Staffing just in general is um, kind of in a crisis point. All right, Allison, thank you so much for sharing that. Now that we're on the same page and it's clear we are talking about the preceptor training, a new hire, which we're calling an orientee, on the job, what are the best ways to determine who becomes a preceptor? Are there best practices for that selection process?
1: I mean, we can speak ideally. Um, (laughs) So I think a lot of times what we see is, oh, Nicole, you're available. You're going to be precepting today. Uh, But ideally, we want to pick the right people to precept. When I'm looking out at my unit and I'm looking at my nurses and I'm trying to decide who am I going to pick as a preceptor, one, I'm going to look for those people who are really good staff nurses. They are awesome with patient care. They are safe. They are the people who are often informal leaders on your unit. They're very, very capable in their staff nurse role. If I can find that one person who care narrates everything they do, so when I say care rate, narrate, I mean that they are talking to the patient about everything they're doing, that's the person I want to pick as a preceptor because they're going to be doing the same thing for that orientee and explaining all of the same processes, and that orientee can just soak all of that knowledge up.
0: So I'm here say like good role model right they are a good role model they are somebody you want your new nurses to emulate
1: yeah right like i want somebody who shows up on time someone who has a positive attitude someone who embraces my organization's culture and values um those people the role models yeah
0: yeah so might not be the most experienced one on the unit but has all of those other qualities because i think You can teach some of these other things, right? Like you can teach them how to, um, you know, be a good preceptor how to teach certain skills. Some of those things, though, that you talked about, like the showing up on time and, you know, your care and variation and making sure that, you know, they're talking to the patient in a certain way. Like some of those are harder to come by.
1: Right. Like I want to build my team and the way to build my team when I think about this is I want my preceptors teaching my orientees the role model version of how to do things. And I want them to learn these orientees. I want them to learn how to be a team player, what's expected of them and how to show up. And the more people that I can train with those preceptors, the better the team is, right? And when you think about the whole goal of precepting and orientation is I want to build a team that's engaged and happy and wants to stay here. That starts at orientation. That starts on day one. That starts with that preceptor saying, hey, I'm Allison. Welcome to the unit. Don't use that toilet. You need to go use that one when you have to go to the bathroom so that you're like integrated into the team culture.
0: I love it. I love it. So good role model number one. What else should we consider?
1: Number two, competent at precepting. And like you said, you can teach them how to be competent at precepting. There are people out there who are inherently good at this. Uh, These are your learners, the people who love to learn. They're the ones asking all of the questions. But you can teach them to be competent at precepting. Okay.
0: Awesome. Anything else?
1: Oh, yes. I forgot the most important part, Nicole. They have to want to precept.
0: Oh, that's a good one because I so often I see, like you said, oh, here's who I'm going to pick. So a lot of times we we see this in healthcare all the time, right? You're being told that here's your new hire, that you are going to precept today, um, and they don't always want to do it. So thank you for pointing that out. Tell us more.
1: Yeah, so I want to make sure that they want to precept, that they are going to be engaged. If I pick someone who doesn't want a precept yet, they're not going to really spend the time and effort welcoming this person into my organization or my unit. And they're, it's just not going to be the same outcome that we're looking for. Now, what happens if you have a whole unit of people who don't want a precept? So that's something that you as a leader or an educator need to start thinking about Early on. So when I say that, I mean identify that person on your unit that you want to precept and start building them up. So recognize those attributes. Tell them that you think that they're going to make a great preceptor, that you understand that they're not ready right now. But maybe we could talk about going to a class or what other things can we do to build this person up so that they're proactively ready to precept when I need them to instead of being a leader or educator who has to very reactively pick people who don't want to precept.
0: What great advice on that. Like, that's not something that I've ever thought about, but you're almost like planting the seeds in them from the very beginning, right? That this is maybe something that you see, maybe you pick out that, wow, they would be a really good role model. Maybe they're not competent in precepting. Maybe they're not ready because they could be super new themselves. But maybe down the road, if we start planting seeds, they will eventually get to the point where they are ready and they do want to fulfill this role.
1: Definitely. The more seeds you can plant out there, the better. I think that that is just so huge. And really, you can even dig into You know, you know the people in your area who want to excel and build their resume. You can also come at it from that angle as well. Like, hey, I know that you're super interested in becoming a leader or an educator or going to another specialty. I really think that you would be a great preceptor. Let's do these things to kind of help build your resume. It's the same thing we do with like committee work as well, right? Like, so I know you want to go here. Let's build your resume. Let's get you engaged
0: so good so good so okay those three things anything else as far as identifying who might be a good fit
1: i mean i think there's the obvious like they have the time and the schedule
0: sure yeah well no that's a good point like well, are we are we identifying like a prn staff who's here you know not ever. Or maybe it's somebody that you know has a lot going on at home and maybe they have missed some shifts or they're going to be going off on a vacation or whatever, you know, the case may be, Uh, you know, making sure that they are going to be here readily available um, and able to focus on sort of this role. So that's great.
1: Yeah. I mean, I have seen it too where preceptors are in a very hard time in their personal lives. And that, I mean, no matter how hard you try, that can really spill over into your orientation and teaching of the orientee. So taking that into account and taking into schedules, I mean, I have sat with a schedule, a shift schedule, and I'm trying to pair preceptors with orientees. And you're sitting there like, this person has to have this day off. And I wanted to pair them with this preceptor. And it's, it's, it's a puzzle, right? But that's a piece of it sometimes too is, Does this schedule actually work with this new hire schedule? Because they also have classes and other things as well. And sometimes it, you know, you can do all the hard work and you can think of all these things, but it comes down to this person's available at the time that I need them to train this person.
0: Such a good point. Another great point. Okay, so we've determined who. Now let's talk about what they need to know to get started. So you said, you know, role model, you said, you know, that they're available, that they want to do it, but you also mentioned being competent. So are there specific things that they should know, or, you know, do they know everything simply because they once were an orientee?
1: So there are some things that our preceptors need to know that it's out there in the literature, it's out there in the research. The preceptor role essentially encompasses being a facilitator, being that role model that we talked about, being able to evaluate the orientee, the socializer, educator, and a protector. So this includes facilitating learning opportunities, role modeling the hospital and organizational values, unit culture, evaluating their skill attainment and their workload management, which can be very challenging for the preceptor. Introducing them to the team and important people, I think that one's forgotten quite a bit. Um, So spending some time teaching them how to welcome people into the organization, assessing the orientee to see how they like to learn and how they prefer to learn and be taught, and then protecting them from safety issues and team members. Um, That's one of the biggest things that they can do as well. Whenever I think about orientation, I think of two things. So when I'm talking to a new hire or my new grads, I'm thinking, we're all here for your successful orientation. I want you to complete orientation. I want you to be a successful, functioning team member who can handle the workload. But I'm also here for patient safety. And that's why we have a preceptor. And that's kind of what makes nursing and this preceptor orientee dyad different than you may see in other fields.
0: Okay, I got it. We got to talk about a couple of these things that you said, because I think first of all, you know, oftentimes we think learning the role and we think of the role as like taking care of the patient, Patients. So we think of assessments and passing meds and, you know, what they are doing throughout their day. But you pointed out a couple things, first being sort of that socialization, right? welcoming them to the organization, being that friendly face, getting to sort of know them, and then making sure as the preceptor, we are introducing them to other members of the healthcare team and getting them, you know, to really begin to develop that sense of like belonging, you know, on the unit at the organization.
1: Yeah. I mean, the goal is to have them stay, right? But if I'm not saying, hey, Nicole, this is Katie over here. Have you met Katie yet? She's a great nurse and managing them up. You're not really getting them engaged and involved. And um, I probably feel extra passionate about this because I am a closet introvert. I'm an introvert. (laughs) I'm an extrovert at work, but an introvert in my personal life. Um, And I'm horrible with names and faces. And so anytime I'm the new hire, I am terrified out of my mind because I... If you don't introduce me, I'm not going to know their name. And it's going to take me a long time to know their name. And that's embarrassing as well. And there's just so many things to know. And I've, gosh, I have been the new nurse that was not introduced to anybody. And I can tell you that I did not stay there a long time. I did not stay there long term at all.
0: Well, because why would you? Like, you don't know anybody. You don't feel like they val. You know, you don't feel like you know them. They probably don't know you if you are a little bit more introverted, and you know, you don't you don't feel like you have those connections. And I think having those connections at work, knowing the people that you're working with,
1: are huge. Yeah, it, it's it's a huge deal. And you know, when we talk about nursing, we you know historically talk about nurses eat their young or, you know, the buzzwords of incivility. And and we're not going to talk a whole lot about that today. But as a preceptor, it's so important that you are socializing them and protecting them from those situations so that they, they feel that sense of belonging, that they feel that connection. Because again, that even plays into, you know, resiliency and well-being when we talk about engagement in your work. And it really, I mean, gosh, it's amazing how how much it starts at that beginning part of orientation.
0: I would almost say like it's the thing that's probably most underestimated, like the power of that.
1: A hundred percent.
0: Okay. So we talked about socialization. I love that you brought up safety. So again, not necessarily about, you know, learning the day-to-day skills, but making sure that we are keeping our patients safe. So tell us a little bit more about what they need to know there.
1: So I think that's a really challenging one for the preceptor. You need to know how to observe and assess the new hire to see if they are being safe with patients. That means you can't sit at the nurse's station. You can't be outside the room because you have to be there watching them to make sure that they're safe with patients. I think that one of the easiest examples that you can think of is probably medication safety. So is that new hire scanning all of their meds? Are they following all of the medication administration rights? Are they actually watching the patient take all of their meds? Or did that little old lady just drop every single pill into the bed that you're never going to find any of those pills ever again, right? Um, And then also... The other side of that is knowing how to delicately intervene when there's an issue. So what that means is instead of saying, Nicole, stop, you're going to injure the patient. Don't give that heparin via the IV. It's sub-Q. I'm trying to like yell, but not yell in your microphone. Um, (laughs) You're going to say something like, hey, Nicole let me take over for just a second and then you're going to do and take over and then walk out of the room and debrief outside of the room the best thing you can do is maybe create a phrase or something beforehand between you and the orientee so that they know that you're going to step in because there's a safety issue so um, we're not talking about like a safe word like bananas like you're not going to yell like Nicole, bananas. And then Nicole's supposed to stop what she's doing, right? And like you take over. You're going to say something like, hey, Nicole, I'm going to put on my gloves here for a second. But I've already talked to Nicole about that. I've already talked to you. And you know that if I say, I'm going to put on my gloves, that you're going to just pause whatever you're doing, that I'm going to take over safely, and that we're going to have a talk and a discussion about it afterwards. So it's like two sides of it, right? Like I want to keep the patient safe, but I also need to keep the orientee safe and provide that learning experience and stop them before they make the mistake. Now, if they do make a mistake, then I also want to treat it like a learning opportunity so that they are learning and growing in that moment as well.
0: I love that. That is so good. So we are... We are teaching preceptors how to socialize new grads to practice. We are teaching preceptors how to be that protector. So they need to have some of these strategies in their back pocket related to creating, sort having that conversation ahead of time about, you know, if we're ever in a situation, this is what I'm going to say. What else do we need to teach preceptors about for this role?
1: Well, there's that very fun and exciting topic of evaluation. Um, So when I say evaluation, I'm saying the paperwork. There is always some kind of paperwork that the preceptor needs to do. And this can be a very important tool. Um, It's often in the form of either a competency-based orientation checklist or competency statements or some kind of plan that the preceptor is following or form that they're filling out to show the orientee is meeting expectations and meeting growth. The really well-designed forms will also help that preceptor give the orientee feedback as well.
0: And so knowing how to give feedback is an important uh, thing that they need to know as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so filling out your paperwork, evaluation, you know, one hot topic right now that I've had a lot of conversations about is preceptors having the ability to, like you said, observe, assess, evaluate, not just do they know how to insert a Foley or insert an IV, but do they have clinical decision making and critical thinking skills? So. Maybe you can talk to us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So that concept's a little bit harder, right? So, and we run—I run into this all the time when preceptors, uh, when preceptors come up to me and they say, you know, I can't tell if they're critically thinking. I can't tell if they're cl- using clinical judgment or what. Are, what are they thinking? Right? Like, what are they thinking? And the question is like. Did you ask them? Did you ask any questions to see if they knew why they did that specific thing? And teaching preceptors how to ask those questions in a gentle way. Because, again, when we think about, like, asking probing questions, there's a difference between me saying, like, hey, Sally, why'd you do that? Versus, hey, Sally, can you tell me a little bit about why you did that that way? Or tell me more about your thought process. Uh, The best thing you can do sometimes too as a preceptor, if you want to see if they're critically thinking, is ask them to do that care narration or tell them, hey, today, I want you to pretend like you're precepting me and teaching me. And then in that way, they have to explain all of the things that they're doing as well and kind of the why. But In general, too, like when you're thinking about uh, patient assignments and which patient you're going to go see first, as the preceptor, you're going to ask those questions like, all right, who do you want to see first and why? To kind of start digging into some of that clinical decision making.
0: Awesome. So definitely giving teaching preceptors some strategies for how do you begin to um, sort of probe and ask questions and do so in a way that makes the new grad feel like, you know, comfortable, right? Not that I'm being tested, not that you don't think I know what I'm doing, but, you know, do it in a more fluid way as part of just sort of that orientation process. So such, such good um, points here as far as what they need to know. So we've, we know who and what. So let's talk a little bit more about how. Now you kind of got into a little bit of this at the beginning, but are there best practices? So you talked about like the the sort of one-to-one dyad. You talked about sort of that team approach to preceptor, but are there best practices out there? Because I get this question all the time, like, how how should a precept or program really be structured, and is there a best way to do it? Do I do one? Do I do ten? You know what what's the answer, and is there anything out there in the research about this?
1: Well, I think the answer is gray. I think it can be really hard. It depends on the orientee. It depends on the approach. I. You know, as a cardiac and a step-down nurse, I feel very comfortable in this gray area. I think it could be very hard for people because they want that black and white answer. But for example, you have the one orientee who's bouncing around from preceptor to preceptor, and they're actually learning different ways to time manage, or they're learning different ways to prioritize. And there's certain orientees who kind of thrive in that environment versus your type B You know, introverted orientee might not do well with that because it takes them three shifts to open up to their preceptor. So you're going to for sure want to make sure that they're one to one as much as possible, or, you know, only have two preceptors because that can actually put them behind. So you kind of have to evaluate how it's going as it's going as well. So the worst thing we can do is have them either one, be one-to-one with a preceptor and that preceptor not be a good match. And so they are, you know, four weeks, five weeks into orientation. And we're not, we're now finding out that they're, they're not being successful. They're not advancing. And the issue is the preceptor. So then we have to switch the preceptor and then, start over almost, right? They're starting from the beginning because the way that the preceptor before was teaching them wasn't working. Now, is that the preceptor's fault? No, not always. Sometimes we have that complete mismatch of personality or there are so many times that a preceptor is trying to teach the orientee in the way that they learned or the way that they like to learn and not in the way that the orientee learns. And by, you know, that four or six week mark, that orientee no longer has trust with that preceptor. So they can no longer be a working pair and you have to switch that up.
0: Well, so that's a good point. Something we didn't talk about when we were talking about the what, but they need to know a little bit about adult learning, right? And that we don't just teach the way that we learn best and that we should know a little bit about the orientees learning styles and be able to kind of change our approach based on where they are. So we provide a preceptor um, course where we are teaching these things. And I would say that is number one, well, not quite number one, but a very popular sort of takeaway is that they come with the realization that like, I can't just teach them how I like to be taught, right? I have to really assess that in my learner and um, change my styles based on that. So that is something that we didn't mention when we were talking about the what, but a very important thing for preceptors to know.
1: I think that was the first hard lesson as a new preceptor that I learned as well. I remember I was training a new graduate nurse and at the time I was more black and white and very type A and she was very Uh, more fluid flexible and type b and i was trying to teach her my like type a structure and it just it wasn't working and that was a very hard lesson for me to learn as a preceptor and then i had to kind of grow and learn from that experience and now in those scenarios i can be a little bit more adaptable but sometimes it just takes that time and recognition of like oh yeah, that's, that's not going to work this time or this isn't going to work for you. And then personally being able to say it's okay that someone does this differently than I do. that comes the same.
0: Oh, yeah. That's a hard thing for nurses, I think.
1: I think it's a really hard thing for nurses.
0: Or maybe just for people to say like, you know what? My way maybe isn't the best way and there are different ways that you can do this. Um, You know, depending on what the thing is, like, obviously, we don't want people coming up with their own best ways for, like, you know, uh, sterile fields and things like that. But, you know, as far as, like, how we manage our time or how we approach different situations.
1: Yeah. I mean, I can think of having
0: that flexibility,
1: that whole which patient are you going to see first? Well, I would do it this way, but maybe my orientee would do it another way. But both ways could be correct, And sometimes it's just hard to see that flexibility. Um, Bouncing back, I think the other thing that we see with multiple preceptors is if you don't have a really strong orientee who can vocalize where they are on orientation, they're just going to be restarting from the beginning every time. So your new orientee is with one preceptor, and they're doing really well, and they're assessing all the patients, and they're advancing in their checklist or paperwork and taking care of the workload. And then they go to a new preceptor who's never seen them before in practice. And then all of a sudden, that preceptor has them starting from the beginning again. And we've seen that sometimes too, where they're just going from preceptor to preceptor to preceptor. And now they're just starting over, starting over, starting over.
0: Okay, so you totally read my mind. And I'm wondering with that, like, Again, what do you recommend? Are there best practices for what that communication should look like? And then even going a step beyond that with sort of that education or management team and keeping them in the loop.
1: Yeah. So I've seen a couple of different things when we talk about preceptor to preceptor communication. Sometimes there's tools that organizations use. Um, If the preceptor is actually filling out that evaluative skills checklist or competency-based orientation paperwork, then sometimes that can be a good tool. I have seen preceptors to preceptors emailing an update, like when they're flipping, you have one, you know, preceptor on days and one preceptor on nights and the orientee is flipping back and forth, they will email each other. Some of them verbally talk to the next preceptor. So the most important piece of this preceptor-to-preceptor communication is that they include the orientee. What can happen when you do not include the orientee in these communications is it turns into this triangulation and incivility. So what we don't want to see is preceptor Sally talking to preceptor Joe at the nurse's station about how our new hire... Katie is having some issues with time management. And Nurse Barb walks by the nurse's station, and you're like, Oh, you mean that person slow? And then all of a sudden the whole unit thinks that this new hire is slow, right? And now they have their they're pegged with this huge sign that says, slow. And I mean, that's a, a silly example, but I've actually seen this happen more than once. Oh, it happens more than once,
0: time. all the time. <laughs> Yeah.
1: And so you have to be very open and very transparent. And the more that you can create opportunities, whether that's through any kind of evaluative paperwork or processes where you help the preceptor and orientee, or maybe you teach them to have this open dialogue of feedback and More importantly, too, if you are going to have preceptors talking to other preceptors, that the orientee knows that it's happening and, if possible, that they are a part of that conversation.
0: So do you guys, uh, you know, where you work right now, do you have, like, set, um, I don't check-in points throughout orientation where you, like, you sit down with the preceptor and the orientee or you sit down with the preceptor and the orientee and the manager to – have some of these conversations? I mean, is that something that you guys have built into your process?
1: We have built in rounding. So our leaders and educators round with our new graduate nurses and I believe our experienced new hires as well. They have a set number of questions that they ask them and see how they're going and how everything is doing. Um, Sometimes they include the preceptor in those conversations. Sometimes it's just the orientee so that the orientee can feel a little bit more free to vocalize any issues with the preceptor. Sometimes the educator or leader will also meet with the preceptor before that round to see where they're at so We want to see the new hire be self-aware. So if they're struggling with something and the preceptor identifies that in this round, we want the new hire to also identify it. Otherwise, there's something else going on as well.
0: Great. Good point. All right, Allison. A question that I get frequently about establishing a preceptor program and designing a robust orientation is about time. So how long should a new nurse be on orientation, number one? Like, what do we suggest? And then how do you decide, you know, how much time they need, et cetera? So maybe you can talk to us a little bit here now about best practices related to this topic.
1: So orientation length is going to be really dependent on many variables. I'm thinking what specialty training they're receiving, patient populations, what skills they need, what did their school training look like? We're still in that area where some of our new nurses are struggling because they had less education and training because of COVID. So what did that look like? What was their previous experience as well? Someone who has been a certified nursing assistant or patient care technician something like that on the unit may actually, you know, they know where things are and they may progress a little bit faster because they're not spending 30 minutes looking for a piece of supply because they have always known where that is because of their previous experience. And it can also depend on the preceptor, right? We've talked about that. The preceptor can either hinder their orientation and have them kind of revert back or they can help them move forward, As far as best practice, I would say we're looking at a competency-based orientation. So that's based on Donna Wright's competency model. When the new hire shows competence in their identified competencies, whatever those may be for the specialty or the unit, then they come off of orientation. And that can be different based on different specialties. Sometimes we're looking at the specific... Uh, scope and standards of practice, either ANA or specialty specific, like ENA is emergency, uh, AWAN for OB, things like that.
0: So I think, you know, we get the, the, we want the magic wand to like know when this person is going to be done and how much they need. But, you know, the short answer is it's, it all depends, right? It depends on various factors. And, um, as much as we would love to say, yes, six weeks, eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks, whatever, um, it just, that's just not the case. Like We can't wave that magic wand and give people who are building pro- preceptor programs um, that specific of an answer. Yeah,
1: I mean, if we're thinking ideal state in alignment with evidence-based practice and what we're seeing out there in the research, we can't give a specific number of weeks, because it's so dependent, and it's dependent on the person and so many factors. However, sometimes our leadership provides us the number of weeks that they will be on orientation. And in those situations, I think that as a leader and an educator, we have to accept that. It can be very challenging, but the focus in those scenarios and really any orientation scenario as well, is focusing on not necessarily having them see all of the skills and seeing all of the patient population, but we're looking at can they manage the workload? I need them to manage the full workload by this number of weeks as designated by my leader. And how can I instill in them that learning on the fly? So that's Donna Wright's wording, but You know, I want them to be able to say, I have never seen this piece of equipment before. I know that I can check the manufacturer's recommendations. I know that I have this policy and resource. I know that I can go to this educator or charge nurse or my old preceptor who's working, you know, next to me. And I know how to find that information. So it's almost like you have to teach them to learn and how to learn and what those resources are so that when they come off orientation and they can manage the full workload, even though they may not have seen any respiratory patients because it's not respiratory season, they know what their resources are to learn how to care for that patient.
0: I think acknowledging or helping them understand that like you never know it all. Like, you never know it all. You are never going to know everything that you need to know to perfectly do this. Um, And acknowledging the fact that we are lifelong learners and we're not going to be able to see everything on orientation, that doesn't mean that I'm not ready to go. It just means that I, like you said, have to be aware of where maybe I didn't get as much exposure and be prepared to ask for help and ask questions and know what my resources are. Yeah,
1: exactly. I always share with our new grads that I, I've i been a nurse for a long time. I have never placed an NG tube. I My background's in cardiac care, and the opportunity never presented itself. So if I was out helping on the unit and somebody asked me to place an NG tube, I would have to use all the resources, and I'd probably try and find somebody so I could see somebody do it once and teach me how to do it before I did it. But I just... In my, all my years of practice, it just never, that opportunity never came up for me. And it's so interesting how your patient assignments can be completely different than somebody else who starts at the same time as you. So you have two new nurses hired on the same unit. They can be in completely different places after a year of practice just based on what patient assignments they got, what days that they worked, what shifts they worked. You know, maybe you could go a whole year and maybe never do an admission or a discharge based on where you work. I don't know. Probably not. But, you know, so you could could totally not see all of the skills or even never do something that somebody does all the time. That's where we get some of these nurses on your unit where you're like, oh, I know I'm going to go to Nicole to place that IV because she places them all the time. That opportunity, you know, didn't, I haven't done it in forever because my patients always have lines. I don't know.
0: Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. I mean, it just, it really just depends on the cards that you have been dealt in the time that you are on orientation. So uh, I think, yes, though, being able to recognize that and again, know, know who it is that you need to go to. So we've talked a lot about precepting new nurses. Those of course, aren't the only ones that need these types of experience. As everyone knows, we have students, we have interns, externs, experienced nurses new to the organization experienced nurses new to the specialty, and likely others I have failed to mention. All of these people, however, need preceptor experience or need you know that time with the preceptor to learn their role. So that is a lot of people who need these services, which brings us to our next topic about preceptor burnout. So what can organizations maybe do, or is there any you know, strategies that you've used or any strategies being shared in the literature about, you know, really trying to mitigate preceptor burnout.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of our organizations have spent a lot of time integrating wellness and resiliency training into nurse residency programs. The important part, too, is going to be identifying those organizational resources and training and making sure that our preceptors have that training as well. They are the ones out there coaching and mentoring these new hires. We as educators and leaders need to be coaching and mentoring the preceptors. We want to make sure that they have the support that they need, that we are truly giving them the resources that they need to be successful in that preceptor orientee relationship that can be shown through you know ongoing education continuing education credits ongoing training open forums where they can come and ask questions and get some coaching and mentoring because there's something also to be said as a preceptor to say in an open forum and say you know I'm having this trouble and for someone else to say, you know, I'm seeing that too. And then for someone else to say, you know, I had that problem and my educator coached me to do X, Y, and Z and it worked. You could try that next time. And then there's some that peer support as, as well for those preceptors. I think the other really important thing is, again, making sure that the preceptor wants to precept, that they have the time to precept, and that if something happens, um, some situation happens with the patient that they need to spend some time maybe debriefing with the orientee, that the team, the charge nurse, the leader, whoever it is, is providing them that opportunity. Because I think the other piece of the puzzle for our preceptors in burnout is that they don't have the time to truly debrief with the orientee when something catastrophic happens or something Provide some kind of distress because if it's providing dis- distress to you as the preceptor, it's likely to distre- you know, providing distress to the orientee as well. Um, so giving them some time for that, listening to them as well. If the orientee needs more time with a skill and providing that opportunity for the preceptor or an educator to come in and give them that training. So they're really struggling with your electronic health system. And the the preceptor says they're still struggling. They went to the class, but they just cannot get the electronic health system down. Can we, you know, find some time for them to practice on our playground? And can we, do we have a case scenario that they can work through on that electronic health record so that it's not the preceptor trying to play catch up with this one thing that they're struggling with while there's 50 other things happening. And then the other piece of that as well is as a leader, providing reward and recognition for that preceptor in the way that they like to be recognized. So whether that's a huge recognition program that you have for all of your preceptors or, it's um, through whatever recognition program you have at your organization, uh, where you send each other notes, or I mean, I've worked places where that you get a note and like rewards. I, it's whatever your organization reward and recognition program is, or is it something that you know, as a leader or an educator, you write them a thank you note? There's so many different things that you can do to make them feel appreciated, and then. Also, just that culture of saying thank you and acknowledging the hard work that they're doing and making sure that it's sincere when you provide that and not just something that you know you say because you're saying it.
0: So it's so funny, like, as you're talking about these ways to sort of mitigate preceptor burnout. All I can think about is, like, these are all the things we're trying to do, even for the new grad, right, that we want to help support their growth and development. We want to give them a group of peers who are experiencing the same things that they are. We give them that forum to be able to talk about some of their challenges, reward and recognize them for the amount amount of work that they're putting in to developing others. I mean, these are all things we say that we want to do through our residency programs with our new grads. Um, but it's not, it's those sorts of things aren't just good for new grads, right? They're good for everyone, whether you're a preceptor or not. Um, Those are the things that make us want to continue to put in this extra effort to be engaged in precepting, to be engaged in our organization. Um, I don't, you know, sometimes it's like, we think we have to have some new magic bullet and it's like, know. It's all the things that we already know how to do. It's just maybe um, applying them in a little bit different way.
1: Yeah. And I think the hard part of that too is this is all stuff that we just need to do as nurses on our units, in our organizations, right? So you ask me for help and I say, of course, like, I would love to help you. And then when I'm done helping you, you say, thank you. Like, that's a place I want to work, right? And really just cultivating that culture of recognition, thanks, gratitude, peer support, supporting each other. Those, you know, are the places that people are going to stay. Or if they leave, it's going to be not because they want to leave that place, but because something else, you know, they've graduated or their significant other is moving or, or whatnot.
0: I mean, it's really not rocket science. These are, these are just- normal things like being a good human.
1: Yeah, but sometimes you have those difficult cultures and it's a real uphill battle and sometimes you know, I've I've worked in areas where it's an uphill battle and I was the educator and I resigned to just be the light and I I wouldn't necessarily at the time at that time in my life I would not say that I was always swinging to the positive. I think actually on my Clifton Strengths positivity is one of my lower uh strengths, but it it shows up in other ways now. But I think you just have to commit to it. I just committed to positivity because everybody else was so burnt out and so unhappy. And I was like, they just need a light. And that's if that's all I can do for this, you know, group of nurses, if that's all I can do for this team, I'm gonna be the light. I'm gonna say thank you. I'm gonna provide, you know, educational opportunities and hope that they show up and you know, do things that I know that mean a lot to them and getting to know them too. Like, you know, as I said, I'm an introvert, so I'm not necessarily always on board with chit chat, but I'm going to work really hard to recognize that my preceptor got a haircut, or I'm going to work really hard to notice that they're having a hard day and acknowledge that it's, it it even goes back to that clinical judgment thing. As an educator and a leader, you have to start noticing your staff, right? You need to notice them. You need to, you know, say, what does this mean? What is this data telling me? How can I respond to that? And then reflect on how you can keep doing better to to uphold them. And, you know, it's not easy. It's It's a really hard thing to do. But, yeah, I think – We all just kind of need to be kind to each other. And when we start to focus on that, it kind of falls into place a little bit sometimes.
0: Oh, my gosh, Allison. I feel like we could talk for hours. (laughs) But we're kind of coming to the end here. So, I mean, we have talked about so many great things when it comes to preceptor programs, you know, different models, who should be a preceptor, what they need to know, how this all should look. We talked about preceptor burnout. Uh, So before we go, I have one last question to ask you. So when it comes to preceptors, what is one thing you often see organizations doing wrong or maybe wasting resources on that really isn't making a difference for the new grad at the end of the day? And what would you maybe tell them to do instead?
1: I think it's that we are picking people because they're available. We're not looking at who necessarily has the desire or the passion to precept. And and that might just be where we're at right now with nursing and some of the shortages that we're seeing. But I see a lot of organizations putting a lot of focus on hiring our new graduates and a lot of focus on their programming. And while that is so important, it is also really important for us to focus on our current employees and our preceptors. So I'm talking about you know, acknowledging my team's attributes. I'm talking about recognizing and rewarding my preceptors. All those wonderful things that we just talked about for mitigating burnout for preceptors, and which are actually all the things we talk about for mitigating burnout with our new grads, we need to be doing that for all of our staff. And if we focus and turn that focus to our preceptors and their training and their wellness and picking the right people, I really believe that we would start to cultivate that right environment and the right team and people would just be engaged and want to stay, right? That's that's the goal. I want an engaged team that works together and is generally happy when they come to work or at least when they experience something that's not happy, they're able to cope together in, in very well ways with good strategies.
0: Oh my gosh, Allison. Such an- another just great thought there to sort of leave our listeners with, you know, like I said, I feel like we could talk forever about this topic. So many great things. I so appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to share with our listeners about this topic. Yes. Thank you for having me. Wait, before you go, I want to make sure you know about all the resources, you can use to support your new graduate nurses. This includes our academy, a coaching program designed for organizations as they prepare to implement and sustain a residency program. Work one-on-one with a residency program expert to make sure your organization is residency ready. Then we have our online nurse residency program. This is an evidence-based, comprehensive, curriculum designed to support your new graduate nurses as they transition from school into practice, wherever that might be. We focus on professional skills, personal well-being competencies, and new graduates even get the opportunity to create real change in their own organization. How cool is that? And we can't forget about our Supporting Nurses course an asynchronous continuing education course for preceptors, mentors, and coaches to learn the skills they need to support any new hire. You can learn more about all of these resources and everything we have to offer using the link in the show notes below.